0: Well, welcome everybody. We are glad to have you with us today at Wilshire. Thank you for joining us. Members, we are glad that you're here, that nobody's gone on an early fall break trip yet, or at least not many. And uh, visitors, thank you for joining us. It's always good to see uh, visitors coming, and, and we hope that we get a chance to meet you. We have some visitors that have returned to the fold Allison Garrett's up here. We never really revoked her Wilshire membership. I know she's been out of duty serving as president of Emporia up in Kansas, but uh, technically we still count her as a member here, so we're glad to have her back. Um, So we're looking at Matthew, and if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter five. All the passages that I'm going to directly talk about are, are there on the sheet, but I'm uh, you, you probably want to see these in context, so if you have Bibles or have electronic Bibles, you may want to open those up uh, as we look at this today. The Sermon on the Mount is sort of set in, uh, in, in Matthew's structure. Uh, it follows Jesus sort of opening his ministry up and and he's a king, we know he's a king, but the people that he calls to him are not uh, the great and powerful and influential people of the land. Who comes flocking to him are fishermen, that's who he calls, and, and the sick people, and the paralyzed people, and the people with demon possessions, and that's who gathers around him. And then he gets up and he preaches this sermon, and Matthew kind of gives us, here's, here's the kind of preaching Jesus would do, and he gives us three chapters of this sermon And it's really interesting. Jesus is a king, but he's just not acting the way we expect kings to do. Kings say, if you want to have a kingdom be effective, you've got to get the rich people on board first. If you want to have a kingdom be effective, you've got to get the pretty people uh, staffing your offices. If you want uh, to have a kingdom be effective... You've got to have the military on your side. And Jesus gets up and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. He says, I'm going to take those people and my kingdom will put all the kingdoms of the world to shame. Out of those people, the people that the kingdoms of the world say, I don't need you anymore. You're irrelevant to my political plans. You're kind of beneath my notice. Well, I'll send you solicitations hoping you'll contribute to my campaign. But but you are not useful to me. And Jesus says, these are the people that I most want this is where our kingdom starts. And then he begins to out, lay out his program. And his program is to take these people who have been trapped under evil systems and also trapped by evil within their own heart. And to help them grow. To help them get bigger. To become God's people walking around on earth. That's the project of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's the project that Jesus Christ is doing in you. I don't know if you know that or not, but he's been working on you the whole time to do the same thing. To help you grow up until you are walking around shining out the character of God into the world. A little temple where you stand. And so he says, Here's the way it's going to work. You've heard this about anger. I'm telling you, act this way. You've heard this about lust. I'm telling you, act this way. You've heard this about uh, divorce. I'm telling you, act this way. And then he says this. You have heard it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, don't swear an oath at all. Either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it is God's footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you can't make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply no or yes. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. That's such an interesting passage. Uh, Jesus is saying, this is the path to get free of everything that's holding you down and keeping you small. This is the path that will make you grow up to be this God-shining person. This is the path to freedom. The Old Testament helped us get part way by saying, keep your vows, keep your word. When you make a value, you better keep it. Lots of passages about that in the Old Testament, and that's good because that's better than being just a liar. That's better than being somebody who just doesn't says anything that comes to their head, and and uh, it, they don't care at all whether they make that true or not, or they stand by their word at all. It's better that the Old Testament got us part way as our schoolmaster. It kind of led us part way to the to the bigness that God wants to grow within us, to the freedom that God wants to create within us. Keep your vows. And Jesus says, the time's here. The kingdom's at hand. It's time to fulfill what the law was pointing towards. Let me tell you what that looks like in the area of honesty. When you say yes to something, then for you, it stays yes. When you say no to something, then for you, your word is stronger than any human oath you could make. It is no. Everything besides that is a trap to pull you down, to wrap you in chains again to make you a slave. Just be a person that when you say something, it is binding on you. Jesus, our King, leads us out of the trap of half-honesty. Oh, I said I was going to go, but you know, I I didn't realize at the time that I was going to have a headache. And I, I, you know... When God says something, he keeps his word. And I understand that we live in this fallen world and we don't always live up to the ideals that Jesus is setting out for us in this sermon. I know that better than all of you know it. because I know what my life is like, but I'm just telling you what Jesus has told us. He said, the Old Testament took us here. It is time to grow up all the way into the kingdom. I am bringing the kingdom into the world and I want you, each of you, my followers, I want you to be bigger and more free in that kingdom. Set yourself free from the trap of half honesty. And he goes further. He says, you've heard it said, eye for an eye. Tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Our King Jesus leads us out of the trap of resentment and revenge. Jesus, our King, leads us out of the trap of resentment and revenge. If you thought the earlier few things Jesus talked about, lust and anger, were hard, we are getting into the thin air here. We are getting towards the top of the mountain here. It's one of the things that's deeply programmed into our flesh, that's deeply programmed into our social flesh, is revenge and resentment. This is one of the key engines, sadly, that runs human beings and human psychology. And Jesus says, I want you To be set all the way free. The Old Testament helped us get a little bit free. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is better than our natural inclination for revenge. Which is, if you knock out my tooth, I'm taking your head off. At least the Old Testament said, well look, 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 look. (laughs) Let it be proportional, tit for tat. If, If they do this, then you can only do this back. We find that hard enough. As individuals... And as nations, we find that hard to do. America, sadly, often is in the the position of overreacting when we are attacked. Out of a sense of revenge and resentment. Jesus says, it is time for you to understand the way God operates and for you to begin to let God shine out of you. You've got to get yourself all the way out of this trap. I remember seeing a movie long time ago. I actually saw it on a, it was either a transatlantic flight or a trans-Pacific flight. I can't even remember now. It was just a long flight and I was willing to watch anything. And so I watched a show called The, the War of the Roses. Anybody old enough to have seen The War of the Roses? Okay, yeah. The old people just outed themselves. That's fine. It was about a divorce. It was, it was about an acrimonious, horrible divorce between two very, you know, a successful family. The guy was a successful lawyer to big businesses. They had a lot of money. The wife had made this beautiful showplace of a home. Uh, she was very unhappy, and so the divorce happens. But mainly what you're focusing on is the way in which they then proceeded throughout the divorce to torture each other. At one point, the lawyer comes to his friend and says, look at the way we've divided up the house. You know, this half is mine, this half is hers. She's agreed to this, she's signed off. And his friend goes, yeah, okay. I have 12 extra square feet than she does. And his friend, played by Danny DeVito, goes, and uh, this makes sense to you? And the whole point was, it did make sense to him. Because he hated her so much. He resented her so much. She resented him so much that the first thing that she thought of when she got up in the morning Was how much she hated him. And the first thing he, the last thing he thought of when he went to bed at night is, what could I do to get back at her? These are people who had talent and looks and money, and they made each other's life shrunk down into this tiny little cycle of, I hate you, and I'm figuring out what you're doing. If one person asked for something, They didn't just give it, they would think, okay, well, if you're asking for that, it must be because you're making this move, and so I'm not going to let you get away with that, and I'm going to, and it was this constant torture. They kept each other in chains. And the reason the movie was popular is because almost all of us have had situations in our lives like that. Hopefully never as bad as that one. But you've put those chains on yourself. I've put those chains on myself. And I've got a relationship going. And it doesn't even matter after a while who did wrong. We both have a story where the other person is in the wrong. But now we are torturing each other with these cycles of retaliation and revenge. You hit me, so I hit you. You say something cruddy about me on social media, and I say something even cruddier back. Double Hitler, triple Hitler. Uh, We just just rip each other to shreds and both of us can't get out. We are trapped. The Bible says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, you just took a tooth. I'm getting your tooth. If it kills, if I have to take your head off and pull it out with pliers, I'm getting your tooth. We are trapped. We are trapping each other. I don't think there's anybody in there except maybe the little kids who don't know what I'm talking about right now because we've all sadly been in this place and it's a trap. And Jesus says, the way you think you can get out of that trap is if you are just mean enough, if you just hit back hard enough, if you just say the, the most hurtful thing that somehow your opponent will wither and quit. He said, that is what got you in this place in the first place. Thinking that somehow you can overpower them, you can drive them back. He says, there's one way out of this trap. And he kind of knows you're not going to like it. (laughs) He says, the next time They ask you for something. Give them more than they ask. The next time they haul off and slap you, physically or verbally, you just turn around without hitting back and wait for another. Now, Jesus intends for you to protect innocent children. And he intends for you to protect yourself when you're innocent. You do not stay in a relationship where you are being abused. That is not what Jesus is talking about. We all know what Jesus is talking about. Everybody, get your hand up. Get your hand, everybody, get your hand up. All right. I'm out of your reach so I can safely do this. Slap me on my right cheek. Slap me. Give me a slap. pantomime, slapping me. Okay, I got hit on a lot of my left cheek. This is my left L. Maybe I should have a big L and a big R. Put your hand back up. Hand back up. You cha- Some of you changed hands. Slap me on my right cheek. Yeah, that's how slaps go, just like that. That's right. What does it mean when you're slapped on your right cheek? A lot of people have gone all over this one, and there are a variety of theories. But what do you think that How do you slap somebody if you're right-handed? How do you slap them on their right cheek? That's right. What kind of a fight are you in when somebody backhands you? You are not in a fight where someone thinks you're an equal. You are in a fight where someone thinks you're not even worth the trouble. They are what's being attacked more than your body is your pride. And the things that trap us over and over and over again have nothing to do with our physical safety. I think you've got to take care of physical safety. There's nothing in the Bible that says don't take care of physical safety. Get out of that situation. But the things that trap us is not that. It's our pride. Oh, you hit me. I am coming for you. You may be asleep and you will find me on top of you. You're going to get it. It may take me five years, but it's coming. And we just, we fantasize and live. And you realize that every minute I spend... Resenting you is a minute in which I am trapped by you. And Jesus says, Here it is. Somebody strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other. If they try to take away, you know, ask you for something, give them more than they ask. If they say, You know, help me with this chore, do two times the chore. That's the way out of this trap. It's what your father's been doing to you your whole life. How many times have you slapped God in the face? How many times? I've slapped him way more times than I can count, and I'm ashamed of all of them. And over and over again, I mean, he, doesn't, he tells me what I'm doing wrong, but he comes back to love me. <laughs> To try and get me to be better and bigger. That's my God. That's how he treats me. And here, his son, his king, Jesus Christ, is saying, God has done that for you. You do that for the people around you. Get out of the trap of resentment and revenge. That's how you're going to get bigger. That's how you're going to shine God out into the world. You can be that image of God that you were created to be. You can be that temple of God that you are now about to be empowered to be in the kingdom of God. So if the rest of the Sermon on the Mount has been sort of getting our yellow belts, our red belts, this about turning the other cheek is probably your brown belt. Get ready. We're about to qualify, hopefully, for our black belt. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that much? Be perfect, therefore. As your heavenly father is perfect. Could translate that. Be complete, therefore, as your heavenly father is complete. This is the PhD of discipleship. This is the black belt level. Love your enemies. Jesus, our king, leads us out of the trap of self-centered affection. I love the people who can help me out. That's the natural fleshly response. The law helped us get a little past that to say, no, love your neighbors. If we'd paid attention, the law also says, love the strangers just like you love yourself. But love your neighbors was a hard enough chore, and that's what most of the Scholars, the rabbis focused on from the Old Testament. Love your neighbors and hate your enemies. We, your leaders, will tell you who your enemies are. We, your political leaders, will tell you who to hate in politics. We, your governmental leaders, will tell you who to hate that lives overseas that we're going to go to war with next. We, your church leaders, may tell you who we want you to hate. We don't like that group over there or that group over there. We need you to hate them with us. It's part of, one of the ways that leaders get power is by keying into your hate. Love us and hate them. It's one of the longest lasting traps that we fall into and get you to love me more I feel like I get you to be more loyal to my organization I feel like if I can paint an enemy for you to pour all your hatred onto In the old cartoons they when they when they want to paint a convict usually a stripy shirt and pants, and, and then the ball and chain. In cartoons, do they actually, I don't know if they ever use these anymore, but ball and chain, they would hook a shackle to your leg and, and a chain and then a big heavy weight make it really difficult for you to run away, a ball and chain. Every person Every person created by God that you hate is another ball and chain shackling you down. Every person. We we tend to hate big groups. Every individual of that group is an individual chain and weight holding us to the earth preventing us from flying up to where God wants us to be. Because every one of those people is a person that God made. Every one of those people is a person who has the ability to grow in the image of God, just like you do. Every one of those people that you are busy hating, every one of them, God, this morning, blessed. Put breath in their bodies, just like he did for you. Allowed them to metabolize food, just like he did for you. Allowed their brain to work and think thoughts, just like he did for you. God has been blessing. Even when they're doing bad, God sends his blessings on them, bad or good, just like he does whether you are right now doing bad or good rain, sunshine, all the other creation blessings, God has been pouring those out steadily because he loves these people that you are busy hating. The Old Testament got us part way. Jesus says it's time to go all the way. Love your enemies. But my enemies are mean. Love your enemy. My enemies tell lies. Love your enemies. My enemies get away with all kinds of stuff. Love your enemies so you can be perfect, complete, like your heavenly Father is. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. These are the people that I'm starting with to make my kingdom. God wants you to live a full, free life. He wants you to have himself shining out into the world. He wants you to be salt in a tasteless world, to be light in a dark world. That's what God wants. And our King Jesus has shown us the path. I'm not under any illusions. I can inspect my own track record and I know how hard it is to live where Jesus calls us to live. I just want you to get there some of the time in your life. Don't quit the struggle to climb to these places that Jesus has outlined for us. He knows you're going to fall. I know you're going to fall sometimes. You know you're going to fall sometimes. That's, That's part of it. We wish that weren't true, but it is. The point is, our King Jesus says, I want you living full, free lives, shining God out into the world. Never quit growing. Never climbing to that higher ground. Always pull yourself to the place where you will live in truth. You will live in love. You will live in forgiveness. If you need to respond to the invitation of God this morning, if you need prayers or you're ready to receive baptism, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.